How to listen to your body is the topic of this program, this class. It's dedicated in honor of Moshe Nusam ben Penina. We often hear much about listening to your soul, listening to his voice, trying to be sensitive to the spiritual or transcendent voice within us to help us find direction, to help us find deeper meaning, to not be distracted by the immediate here and now, basically to find a more purposeful and meaningful life. Basically allowing your spiritual aspirations to express themselves. But here's the question. Does our body also have messages for us? Should we be listening to our body? And that's much less spoken about, interestingly. And that's going to be the topic of our discussion here. Because remember, end of the day, it is our soul and body, it's your soul and body that travels together in this world and defines your life. So just as the soul has memories, so does the body. Your body silently, or maybe not so silently, watches and absorbs all your life experiences. And it becomes part of the body memory, we'll call it. That's why at times you'll find from the more superficial, we will just have a, uh, like goosebumps or um, uh, blushing, or sometimes much stronger voices of your body, where your body may freeze up, like you're tied up in knots, butterflies in your stomach, feel a certain tightness, a certain almost, almost frozenness, because your body is reacting to something that may have happened years ago or to a series of things, and your body carries these memories. And it's telling us and speaking to us through its own language. So to listen to your body language is a tremendous powerful communicator besides listening to your soul language. You'll see sometimes we feel a sense of panic. We feel a sense of... Um, Tentativeness. And again, these are things that your body actually feels, a tenseness, a tension. Where is it coming from? As I said, because the body has its memory. Now, the reason we're speaking about it this week is actually due to a fascinating story in the Bible, in the Torah of this week's chapter, which is the story of, uh, there's a chapter called Balak, who is the king of Moab, was a country, a nation, that the Jewish people encountered as they were on their way to the promised land in their journeys through the wilderness. Now, Bullock, the king of Moab, felt threatened by the Jews, so he went and commissioned, sent messengers to commission Balaam. Balaam was the prophet that, to curse these people, to curse the Jews. Balaam responds that he, that he can't do anything without asking God, and God is telling him, that you can only bless them, you cannot curse them. Bullock sends another set of messengers, even better ones. Long story short, Balaam finally agrees with God's reluctant uh, agreement as well. And this is here the interesting part. There's a, the story, I'll tell more about the story in a moment, but here's the interesting thing that happens next. It says, Balaam wakes out on his way he saddles up his she-donkey, his osin, his donkey, which 
who was faithful to him throughout his life, traveling with him all the time, and they set on their way. Because this was not a simple mission and God was not happy with what Balaam was doing, so it says, the, the story continues, that the she-donkey suddenly sees an angel in the path. Now Balaam did not see, but the donkey did. As the donkey looked at it, it got frightened because the angel was carrying a sword. So the donkey swerved off the road into the field. Afterwards, we hear it's a vineyard. When Balaam says that, sees that, he whips, he hits this donkey. Then, once they were in the vineyard, the, the story continues that the angel trapped the donkey from traveling further because there was a fence on one side, a fence on another, and the donkey had nowhere to go. It was stuck by a wall. And it, and it pressed Balaam's leg, which was on the side of the donkey, to the wall. Balaam struck the donkey a second time. At this point, there was nowhere to go because the, the angel had now trapped the donkey. The donkey had nowhere to go. So what did the donkey do? It couldn't go to the right or to the left because now it was stuck. So the donkey simply collapsed. And Balaam, of course, fell down on the ground. So Balaam struck it yet again. Got very angry at the donkey. And um, the donkey suddenly says, God opened up the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey spoke to Balaam, saying, Why are you striking me now? Three times you've struck me. Have I not been loyal to you? And Balaam says, Because you are not following my instructions. You're humiliating me. You're embarrassing me. Have I not been loyal to you, said the donkey. From the beginning of time, from the beginning we've been together, I've always served you well, didn't I? And Balaam says, yes. So why are you striking me? And then the story continues that, that God opens up Balaam's eyes and suddenly he sees the angel and he sees what happened here. And he realized that the donkey actually saved his life because had the donkey continued, the angel with the sword would have killed Balaam. Then the story continues that Balaam finally meets uh, Balak, and what happens is that Balak asks him to curse the Jews. He says, again, I can only say what God tells me to say. And what happens is, three times, instead of saying curses, Balaam tells Balak to bring all kinds of offerings. The curses end up being blessings, and Balak is furious. But as Balaam said, all I can do, I'm a prophet. You're asking me to curse them. It's not my power. It's only the power of God, and God is telling me to say these words. And the greatest blessings that we've ever heard are expressed by Bilaam in this week's chapter, including what we say every morning in the prayer, How good, how fine, how fortunate are the tents of Jacob, and so on. Even the prophecies about the Messiah, Mashiach, are prophesied by Bilaam in this, what was supposed to be curses, ending up blessings. Okay. I'm going to focus on the first part of this story, this donkey story. What is going on here? First of all, if God wants to tell Balaam not to go, he could have just sent, told him, do not go, or send an angel to stop him. Why did the donkey have to be the one that sees it? Balaam hits the donkey until he comes to realize, and anyway ends up seeing that there's an angel there. What is the whole significance of this story and a miracle like that, that the donkey speaks? Therein lies, in this story, these tremendous lessons thousands of years before we started speaking about the body's voice and to listen to your body's messages and the memories of your body, here you have it all in this story. Though it's called an osen, which is a she-donkey, but the donkey in general is called a chamer. 
A chamer has another meaning. Chamer means also the body. Chamer haguf. The crass, the crassness of the body. Chamer is like something very body-like, physical-like. There's a verse in the book of uh, Exodus that says, based on the Baal Shem Tov gives a beautiful interpretation. He says, when you will see the donkey of your enemy, and you'll see it's overburdened with um, weight. So you may think it's your enemy, don't help. No, there's a mitzvah to help make sure the donkey shouldn't suffer. Says the Baal Shem Tov, the donkey chamer is referring to chamer haguf, to the body. When you see your body, you may think it's your enemy, because it disturbs your spiritual growth. No, work with it. Do not punish it. Do not afflict it. Work with your body, transform it, and harness it to be direct and a channel also for the spiritual. So we see the concept of a donkey refers to the body. And this is the story here. The story is, each of us has our destiny in life. And there are times that we can be challenged, like in this case, Balaam was a prophet of God's, and he could only say what God wants him. But at the same time, he did want to curse the Jews, and that's why he was eager to go. He knew he would only be able to say what he was told to say, so he went. And he went with excitement because he hated the Jews as much as Balak, if not more. Now, when a person is doing something in life that may be good or bad for you, there are many ways that we are given signals to wake up to the fact. One is, as I said at the outset of this class, is our soul speaks to us. You sense your conscience, you sense that higher voice that tells you this is not the direction to go. We can live our lives and feel all happy and comfortable, and then we discover that we're just indulging in our own materialism, and our soul wakes us up. But there are times where the body is the one that wakes us up. And that's why the story goes this way, because Balaam's soul was completely consumed with cursing the Jews, with hating the Jews. But even when our soul, let's say, is, 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 is misdirected or is being controlled by another force, there's another part of us that we don't even control, and that's our bodies. And our bodies speak to us. And they warn us of things. And each of these steps, first veering off from the road into the vineyard, into the field, then being stuck between fences, then crouching because there was nowhere to go, are all messages that the body tells us. So let's talk a moment about body memories. It's usually explained in the more unfortunate, sadder or traumatic experiences is that when a person experiences some type of trauma in our childhood, especially a violation of the body in one way or another, the body always remembers. That's why the body will react a certain way because it's, the trauma is still living within it. So there's the soul, as I said, but we're talking now about the body. And the body is our ally, even though we may not know it. So if your body is telling you, you know, it's feeling tension or it's resisting, do not ignore it. Many times we'll strike it and we'll hit it because we don't want to hear its message and voice and it's making us uncomfortable. So just to use a little, I mean, it's a sensitive subject and somewhat explicit, I'll try to be couched in um, subtle terms, but this is not uncommon that people who have been violated sexually in other ways, when it comes to having a relationship, a healthy one, they have certain difficulties because it, re it reintroduces the trauma that they experienced. In times like that, we're not meant to ignore the body. 
If you could and you can live a healthy life is one thing. But very often the body will warn us because the body has not yet to reconcile itself and make peace with the experience that it experienced. So sometimes the body will veer off. It will veer off to the side of the road. It's going on the road. It will veer off into a field, meaning naturally you'd go this way. Let's say you're dating someone. Or you're um, in an interaction with somebody. If they feel vulnerable or the person feels like they're, the place they were wounded, like a raw wound, like a nerve, is being touched. So even though up to that point they didn't feel it, but now when you get too close for comfort, especially in emotional relationships, the body will have a certain knee-jerk reaction. It may tighten up. It may veer off. And when you see that happening, and that could be whether it's uh, between spouses, between adults, it could be children. If you see somebody tightening up, or veering off from the regular road, you think you expect them to be going this way, and suddenly you see them make a, an inexplicable twist turn, know that the body is saying something to you. The body is f- sensing. It's sensing a spiritual voice that's lying within it. The, that's the angel, is the spiritual voice. As the body that's sensing it. You don't sense it because either you've gotten used to your life, and you've developed a whole personality, and never really dealt with that trauma. But the body does not forget then there are times when you ignore that and you, instead of understanding the body's message, you strike it, which means you would reject it and you actually hit the body and hurt it further. The body will come with an even with a stronger message and the place where the body will feel stuck and will actually pressure you that your leg or part of you will be hurt. So again, if you're wise, you should take the message and understand what to do with it. It means that you need to address the issue. It's like any form of pain. When a person feels pain, the first thing we usually gravitate to is painkillers or some way to numb our pain. So we get involved with something that's either escapism or addiction or self-medicating, numbing ourselves, instead of really addressing it. And when we don't address it the first time, then the pain gets deeper. So then now we feel crushed. The wise thing to do is to act. But like Bilam, most of us will do is strike the body again, meaning hurt ourselves further which is often what we do. We re-traumatize ourselves. We re-experience the pain. Then comes step three. The body feels that no longer is there a way to go. It can't even go to the right or to the left. It can't go off from the road. And now it's stuck with by the wall. The only thing the body is left to do is to close down. And it just shuts down. And the body physically will go into a state of withdrawal, a state of a uh, certain uh, type of like um, low maintenance uh, what I want to use not, not fully functional almost like a zombie like state you could almost say an out of body state and at this point hopefully we get the message but even here Balaam struck the, the, the body because we, that, we also can ignore and we think it's just something let's just get the body back into motion when the body is really your biggest ally and then comes the great miracle you suddenly discover that the body is speaking to you. That God opens up the mouth of the body to speak to us and you suddenly realize this has all been in our, for our good. Have I not been loyal to you, the body says? Have I not always been with you? Why would you see me as your enemy? Why would you see me as being someone, a force that's in some way impeding your growth? And then you come to realize what's going on, that there's something more happening here. 
Now, we shouldn't have to wait to hit rock bottom to come to this type of awareness. But the story here is exactly about the story of each of our lives. Now, here the story continues that Balaam goes on and tries to curse and ends up being blessings, which is also part of the story. He thinks the way to go is curses, and truth is his blessings. Which includes also the body's message to him. What was the, the, the donkey trying to say to him? That I'm protecting you. You shouldn't be going to hurt the, the Jewish people. And even when Balaam does that, it ends up being blessings because even the pain, even the trauma, once you're aware of it and allows you and you wake and you allow it to wake you up to be a wake-up call, it ends up being a great blessing in our lives. So when you feel your body in some ways tightening up or any other voices of your body, don't ignore it. One of the ways is to take care of your body, whether you go to a spa, a massage, physical exercise. People don't realize that the body carries tremendous amount of messages. I remember vividly, it was right before Passover. You'll see in a moment how I remember that many years ago. So there's a fellow who came to my class, called me up and said he wants to come speak to me. As soon as I met him, and I remember seeing him in the class, I always saw he was a very sad figure. He came to my office, and you know, look at him, you really like want to cry. You could see withdrawn, like almost recoiling in himself, like in a fetal position, f- afraid of his own shadow. Literally, his body language was so tight. We, we begin speaking, and uh, going through life, he says, you know, I've always been picked on, always been bullied by family members, school, I was always this, this case of people who seemed to grab, I always seemed to be inviting people to hurt me. And I became this uh, sad, pathetic figure. I have no relationships. I live alone. I'm afraid of even trying a relationship. I felt so sad for the man. How do I remember it was right before Pesach? Because in Pesach, we have, we talk about different signs, the different 15 steps, rather, that we, uh, the simonim, that we use in the Seder. And one of them is when we dip the, part, the vegetation, the vegetable, in the salt water. I'll get back to that in a minute. Anyway, I'm sitting there trying to help him. I didn't know what to say. I mean, my heart went out to him. I tried to be compassionate. Then, I don't know, instinctively, I just felt, I asked him to stand up. Okay, he stood up. I went over to him. And I literally went over and gave him a bear hug. A hug. I embraced him. I never felt a body so tight. It was like bracing a metal pole, literally like a stone wall. And I guess when I embraced him, he became even tighter. And he was like shocked. He's saying, why are you doing that? He wasn't scared. He was just saying like, you know. But I saw the human, his whole body became this, this like metal. And he couldn't be loose at all. The whole body was so tied up. And I sensed all that he experienced, all lying inside that body. And that's when I told him, I said to him, when was the last time you cried? He says, I haven't cried since I'm six years old. After my father whipped me for crying, he says, only babies cry, stop crying. I've not cried. I said to him, you know, let's cry together. He said to me, if he begins crying, I don't think I'll ever stop, he says. If I begin crying, I don't think I'll ever stop. I have so much pain. For me, the tears was a way of release. Think of a kettle that's boiling water. And if it doesn't have a spout, what will happen? It will implode or explode. You need a spout. Tears is 
are a spout. They're a form of release. And I was trying to get him to release a little. And that's when I shared with him. I said, you know why we dip the, vegetation, the vegetable in the salt water? Salt water are tears. Vegetables are bodies. Comes from the earth. Borapri ha'adoma. Ha'adoma. Fruit of the earth. It reflects our bodies. And we want our bodies to be bathed like in a mikvah, submerged in salt water, which is a cleanser. Tears. Bathe the soul. I'm not going to, I wasn't going to force him. But I saw that was what's necessary. His body had become so tight with his life experiences. It was telling, it was crying out, I need to be released. So I suggested to him actually to begin to exercise, to begin to have some body work done on him. Now that wasn't going to be the entire solution. But it would begin to release some energy. The body can carry so much energy in that tightness. And when you see people, that, by contrast, who are very comfortable in their own skin, literally, what they have is a certain looseness. There's a certain fluidity to their movement, even to their body language, to their confidence. Their confidence level keeps them flowing. And the opposite is true when things close up. When we've been hurt in our childhood, when we've been abused, when we've been violated in one way or another, God forbid, Besides the effect on the psyche and on the soul, it also affects our bodies to start tightening up, to locking up. How often will you hear in therapy, you know, when my mother would come close to me, I would tighten up. I didn't want her to hug me. Or with a father. What's happening? Because the body is remembering, even though not consciously, it's remembering things that happen and the body will react. It'll either veer off, as I said, or get stuck and, and, and hurt us in a way, or just collapse. And all of these are voices that we should listen to. Now, as I said before, just to qualify, this doesn't mean every time your body speaks to you, you have to always listen. It could very well be there are some things you could overlook and move on. If it works, great. But often the deep-seated pain and the things that we carry, the body's memories, are not things you can just w- wish away. We w- I wish we could wish them away. So we see here is we have a new resource. In addition to the soul's voice, which we'll talk about shortly, which is also vital and critical, maybe even more critical, we also should be listening to our body. People, for example, who do exercise and do have a, a, a hygiene where their bodies are not resisting, the muscles are worked out, there's a certain um, flexibility, dexterity, you see, it helps them also breathe better. It helps them focus. It helps them function better. Why? Because as I said before, the body and soul are like a vehicle. The body is like a vehicle of the soul. If the vehicle is in some way compromised, even though the soul may be completely intact, your vehicle is going to slow down and impede the journey of your soul. Like the donkey here that impeded the journey of Balaam, of Bilam. So our goal is to make sure that this vehicle be aligned with the soul, meaning opening it up, opening up its passageways, even opening up the pores, so it can breathe again, so it can function again. Look at newborn children. The body and soul are working seamlessly together. You actually can see how healthy lungs breathe. You see a newborn child. You see the heaving of the lungs. They're using 100% of all their faculties and their organs and limbs. 
Then as we begin to absorb, as we begin to um, retain toxins, we don't use our lungs that much, other parts of the body start becoming rusty or lethargic, or worse, because the body can start wearing down. However, going back to the child, you see there are body and soul that are completely aligned with each other. That's the way you want it to be. But if the body begins to slow down and some other ways impede our way, we should realize there are things that can be done. That itself is also a wake-up call. And that's a tremendous lesson that we learned from this week's chapter. That's why it wasn't enough to tell Bilam and the angel should appear to him. The Torah wants to tell us that there's also something in the chamer, in the body that you have, that is also going to give you a message of your life and are you going in the right direction with your life's mission. I have no doubt that if this is developed, we can turn it into a whole psychological model which addresses the issue of the body's memories, just based on these principles here. And the Torah talks about the three voice, three messages the body has. One is that it veers off from the regular path and just to, wake, to make us aware. Or it's stuck between fence and fence to the point there's nowhere to move. And or finally, and therefore, rather fence and fence, so therefore it gets stuck, it moves into and moves the, body, it moves the person into the one who's riding on the body, the soul, into the wall, crushing it, or it just breaks down because it has nowhere to go. Remember, even step two, you still have where to go. You're just going into a corner. Step one is going off from the road to another area, to the field. Step two is that you go into a corner, and, but you're still moving to try to avoid the angel that was in your path. And step three, there's nowhere to turn. You just feel completely stuck and paralyzed. And you collapse. So these three different steps, and I'm sure there are many more, these are just three general ones, can be developed into an entire model of how to work with one's body, how to listen to your body. Now to take this a step further, Hasidic teachings, based on the Kabbalah, talk about oiris and kalim. You've heard this from me a number of times. Or is energy and containers. Everything in existence has to have an energy and a container. On a very basic level, I'm speaking right now, my words are the containers. The ideas conveyed through these words are the energies. You look at a book, the words on the page are the containers, the message is the energy. So wherever you turn, there's, a, there's, a, there's essentially energy and container, or body and soul. The body is the container, the soul is the energy within the container. But here's the fascinating thing. When it comes to body and soul, does the soul create the body? No, it energizes it. That's why even after 120 years, when they separate, the body still remains. It takes a while till it decomposes. Because the kalim, the container, the body itself also has energy within it. And, and the Kabbalistic masters and the Hasidic masters talk a lot about this energy that the kalim have. That even though they are not alive without the soul, but the mere fact that they exist means there's some energy vivifying them, They're the fact that they exist. So the body also has energy. It's just a very different type of energy than the soul's energy. The soul's energy is about awareness, is about intelligence, about feelings. The body's energy is not necessarily expressed in a revealed way, but yet it will send messages. The messages will be more like I've described. Either that I'm along for the ride because I'm in a fluid state, healthy and so on, or resistance. The body will show resistance to something. 
And do not ignore that. Because that resistance is also an energy speaking to us. Some ways the energy of the body is explained is even deeper than the energy of the soul. So the Hasidic masters say that because whatever comes down in a lower level is rooted in a higher root, so the body's energy in some ways is rooted higher than the soul's energy. But for us to be conscious and aware and growth, growth and people dedicated to growth, you need to have both. You need to have your soul speaking, which is of course reveals, is a very conscious revealed, but you need your body to go along and to be aligned with it, like a vehicle that's completely aligned with the captain or the one riding the vehicle. So in other words, your soul should be directing where your body goes, not your body, your soul, but the body has messages. And if you are not aware or you choose to not be aware from your soul level, the body will remind you. So therefore, and really it's a symbiosis of energy and container that have to work hand in hand. For example, when you talk in the Kabbalistic concept of what's called the shattering of the containers in the world of Tohu, what's the story there? So that's a psychological model for dysfunctionality. There's very intense energies. They're very fragile and vulnerable containers. And they can't coexist, so there's a shattering. There's a tension that explodes. That's an example at the root level of an inconsistency between body and soul. That example would be when a person is extremely excited or extremely inspired, but they don't have the containers to contain it. It can overwhelm you. It can even hurt you. So we have to always have that balance. So the shattering of the containers, you can say, is the first expression of the container not being aligned with the soul. First expression of the story that we read in this week's chapter about Balaam's donkey. Not aligned. But the fact that it's not aligned, listen to that body. It's not just not aligned. The body has something to say. You have to work with me. You have to develop me. You have to mature me. We know today that people who have been hurt deeply in their childhoods often experience something I've coined, I've not seen it elsewhere, type of psychological hypothermia. What is that? So hypothermia is is now a uh, phenomenon where especially children, because I guess their balance is different and more fragile than adults, will fall, let's say, under the ice, God forbid. Fall into a into a uh, icy water. Now, of course, the body cannot withstand too much cold. So there have been a certain time before they discovered hypothermia, what they came to realize was that um, they thought the child was dead. Then, I'm not sure how they discovered it, but they came to discover the child was not dead. There was a state of hypothermia that the body will shut down all its systems to survive to the point the heart will stop and all vital signs will seem to not be functioning. But in truth is, there's still a spark there. So when the child is taken and warmed up again, you can revive it. There was a time where they literally declared people dead. What is the psychological context? When someone is deeply abused, especially more than once, consistently, as a child, there's, you'll hear the experience that people will describe out of body. It's so intolerable that someone close to you, someone loving you, should hurt you, that you can almost disassociate, not almost, you actually disassociate. And you either stare at something in the, thing, in, the, in the room and you like almost can describe it like it happened 
to a third party, not you. And we actually separate and we start developing a separate personality to survive. Because to, to, to live with the fact that someone who loves you could hurt you is impossible to accept. So it's almost like two personalities. The one that is being hurt and the personality you develop. And what happens is the personality that was hurt goes undercover. You're no longer in that body. You've just developed another personality. So for the time being, it was like hypothermia. It helped save you. But the, unfortunately, as we grow into adults and we haven't reconnected, regrounded ourselves, the outer body is still there. And we have two personas. The persona we show to the public, we show to people we're smiling, we're happy. And then there's the other one that's undercover that has never really been given attention, has never been nurtured. The inner child. So part of the work is to recognize the voices of that inner child. So when you see someone who's an adult chronologically, and their emotions sometimes are very immature in the sense where they're frightened of commitment, frightened of intimacy, frightened of any state of emotional vulnerability, don't ignore that. That's the body speaking to us and telling us that I have not yet really made my peace. And let's not be fooled by the bravado and the macho-ness of someone saying, no, everything is fine. Because the body that has been hurt remains hurt, and therefore we resort, we revert to being emotionally protective of ourselves. Our armor goes up, our defense mechanisms are back into play, and we're hiding. And that inner child is waiting for what? To be listened to, to be nurtured. So there's a whole process of how we get that inner child to trust again to trust others and also trust itself. But that includes listening to its voice because the child was ignored when it cried out, no one listened to it. So it said to itself, you know what? Nobody really, nobody cares. Or I'm not worthy, which is even worse. And it's no point in saying anything because I'm not worthy. And what happens is the body, that inner child's body, begins to so-called separate and its experiences are of like a different person when the real little child and his body and his voices need nurturing, need validation, need to be watered, cultivated, and given the confidence that it could speak again. And when the work is done properly, what happens is the body's voice is listened to. It shares its memories, whether it shares it um, explicitly or overtly, but it shares, and slowly the body will lose its tightness because it's allowed to breathe again. It's allowed to feel safe. So a body that doesn't feel safe will shut down. Well, I should say, go through the other three motions. will veer off or move into a corner or collapse. And the process of healing is to recognize these different symptoms and address them and try to make the body feel comfortable again. Make the person feel comfortable, feel nurtured, feel validated. And then slowly they can come out from that hiding place. It's far, far easier said than done, obviously. But work has been done and actually effectively. People reconnecting to that moment. The difficult part, one of the most difficult, is acknowledging it. Most of us don't want to go back there. It's too painful. No, I'm fine. I've grown out of it, I've forgiven, or i moved on. And that may not always be accurate. The fear of going back is because you don't want to experience the trauma again. That's why you hit the body, saying, why are you bringing me there? I don't want to hear this. 
I'm fine. So you strike the body as Balaam struck the donkey. But in truth, the key step is to feel at least comfortable with acknowledging that you're not comfortable. Awareness is the beginning of every cure. Awareness of the problem is half the cure. Because awareness allows you to acknowledge it. That alone is a state of vulnerability because you're allowing yourself to go there. But hopefully doing it in the right trusting environment where you can rebuild and you can access those deeper experiences that are embedded somewhere in that body. And the soul needs it. Because as I said, the soul cannot travel without your body. So an unhealthy body, whether it's physically unhealthy or psychologically or emotionally, impedes the journey of the soul because the soul needs the body. It's like, it's like being an excellent driver but with a terrible broken car or broken vehicle or compromised vehicle. And as the body needs the soul because the soul is part of the wake-up call. The soul is where the awareness is. The body carries the memories but the soul is the one that has to listen, process, and do something about it. And do something with the body. Because a body on its own cannot do anything. It needs to be led. It needs to be guided. So what we have here is a tremendous lesson in psychology. In understanding how the soul body work and how they both can complement each other and they both speak to each other. And this is actually, as I said, can be developed into a true school of thought that can help us all grow. Because even though I was speaking about more serious trauma, in fact, everybody's body has different memories, different um, reactions. Some are more significant than others. And even if not, the body, you want it to be completely aligned with the soul's journey. You want it to be seamless, a fluid state where the body is a completely seamless vehicle to the soul's expression. That when you travel in this world, you're able to bring them both together. As I always say, you ask somebody, who are you? They give you their business card. But that's not who you are, that's what you do. That's your body, not your soul. And then people say, you know what? Sadly, what I do has become who I am. That's not aligned properly. So even on a very basic level, this, basic level, this material world distracts us and causes us to develop a persona of our successful business person, a career, a this or that. When in truth, your being is meant to be a vehicle for soul's expression, for your mission in this world. So you see, even if without the trauma, we need to align body and soul. We have a very big schism, and I would say even dissonance, between materialism and spirituality. Most people pursue the material as an end in itself, when in truth it's only a means to a higher end. People look for happiness. They think they'll get happiness by more money, more materialism, more possessions. No, that never makes you happy. That it will always make you want more to protect what you already have. What you want is to take the material and tap into it and allow yourself to, t- to tap and, and um, what's the word I want to say? Draw out of it the divine energy, the soul. That's the goal here. So there in that context, body and soul are also absolutely necessary to work with one another. And one final point about the curses and the blessings. In this case, the body, the donkey, was helping Bilam not to be, do the wrong thing. 
But as I said before, Bilam was mind was set. He would do whatever it took to hurt the Jews. He ends up blessing them, which also tells us something, that even a curse, even an intended curse, becomes a blessing. Because everything is for the good. So even if a person did experience trauma, even if their body is not aligned with their soul, that too can be harnessed and directed and be a wake-up call to actually express, have deeper spiritual expression in your life. So what you see from this, a fascinating thing in many schools of thought, the spiritual schools of thought, the body is seen maybe as a necessary evil, some see it as a distraction, some see it as an illusion. And the real goal is to reach spiritual ecstasy, a spiritual bliss. In Jewish thought, it's not that way. The body and soul are both part of the spiritual journey because God is not more soul than he is body. He's not more spiritual than he is material. For many, it's the spiritual and the material, a duality. The truth is, there's three steps. There's the body, the material, there's the spiritual, and then there's a step that transcends the spiritual, and there, spirituality and material come together as one. That's why in Jewish mysticism, you can achieve more through an action than through a meditation. Because to bring it into action, into the material world, is the ultimate spiritual experience. Because spirituality could also be very, very arrogant, I'm a spiritual guy. But then there's a level where you don't even take your spirituality. It's not selfish. You don't take yourself that seriously. There's a state of utter bittle, utter selflessness, utter suspension of self to experience where, where body and soul come together in the fullest sense of the word. Of total fusion between material actions driven by spiritual convictions. And they both need each other because a soul without a body is not grounded, and a body without a soul is not directed. So both are necessary, both have messages, both have memories, and they need to speak to each other. And when you, when you do that, you learn to access the best of both, and both come together as partners in achieving the mission for which we were sent to this world. This, my friends, is the mission of the Meaningful Life Center as well. Joining body and soul honoring and celebrating the dignity of each person's life, not just the spiritual, but also the material part of the life, not just soul, but also body, and how they both work together. You go to MeaningfulLife.com. You have a full array of resources. Please take advantage of it. Share with others. Like, comment, give us your thoughts. That's what we're here for. And hopefully we can have a partnership, a total seamless partnership, where we each enrich each other all part of a larger symphony. Everyone be blessed. This has been Simon Jacobson speaking about how to listen to your body. And I'm here every Wednesday live, 8.30 p.m. But all these programs are archived. You can access them anytime, anywhere. And uh, we also always welcome your sponsorships and dedications, which is what allows us to continue to build and expand these programs to go to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsor. With that, I bid you all a very good week. Until next Wednesday, thank you.